0: Welcome to the Money Mentors Podcast. Today, we are once again proudly brought to you by Hewison Private Wealth, one of Australia's leading independent wealth management firms. Uh, Today, I'm with Glenn Furburn and my name is Nathan Lear. As always, our mission is to improve financial awareness and literacy to our listeners. Uh, Today, we're going to have a discussion around, is retirement achievable? There's been quite a lot of press lately around how much you need to retire average um, amounts that people build up by the time they get to their retirement age and also the superannuation system um, you know is that a a good place to accumulate and build your wealth so i hope you enjoy the podcast
1: (laughs) Hi, everyone. Today's podcast actually comes from a not-so-sunny Hamilton Island. Uh, Nathan and I are up here for a conference with a number of Australia's leading advice and accounting firms. Um, I mean, essentially what we're trying to do is, is, is work with each other, collaborate to, to increase and improve the, the service that we provide to our clients. Um, when we first set out to start this podcast, as we said very early on, one of our key obje- objectives was to basically improve financial literacy for our listeners and also financial awareness. But another major thing that we were keen to do was basically cut through the noise and, and really, I suppose, bring attention to any fear-mongering that we saw in the media or in the press. Um, and, and, and one thing that sparked my interest over the weekend was an article that was in the media, which, which was basically just saying that if you're counting on your superannuation to fund your, your uh, retirement – Um, essentially be very aware and some of the some of the key points that that were raised in that particular article um, were that effectively although there's essentially almost two trillion dollars in superannuation at the moment that that large asset pool doesn't take into account the level of household debt that we all have. Um, Secondly that with I suppose longevity and and, and people living longer um, that the savings will have to be effectively stretched a lot further in order to fund the rapidly increasing costs of healthcare. care. Um, the third key point was that at some point, the financial assets that you've accumulated over your working life uh, may need to be converted to cash in future values and not in today's values, which the article argued that were were inflated. Um, now, the fourth point was that the substantial size of the savings has effectively artificially inflated asset value so because there's so much money flowing into the superannuation system that has to find a home um, that that's pushing asset values up whether that be in shares or property um, the, the one of the other points that, w- that we will go through in, in further detail um, was that the large inflows into the superannuation system um, had effectively created an industry in itself with financial advisors asset managers and consultants and so forth um, and that the fees that were effectively taken out of these large asset pools has grown to almost $20 billion annually, uh, which is a bit of a drain on the system. And, and the final point was that the average balance on retirement for men was about 200000 and for women about 110000 was well below what was arguably the required average of between $600,000 and $700,000. So a number of key points there that, that were of interest, I suppose, to, to Nathan and myself, and that that we felt, in, in, not that they were inaccurate, um, but we felt probably required a little bit more context. Um, is that what your sort of view of the article was, Nathan? Did you sort of think it was a bit of scaremongering, or did you sort of agree with some of the points that were raised?
0: Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was an interesting article. When I when I first started reading the article, it actually. I thought it was going to be a positive apart from the heading when I read the first uh paragraph it it did seem somewhat positive on on our i guess retirement asset pool saying that effectively Australians make up zero point three percent of the the world population um yet have the the, for, the world's fourth largest retirement pool yeah so i mean obviously that's a that's a very positive for australia i mean our superannuation system is uh The envy of many other countries isn't it yeah so i I would agree with that so and then as i as i kept reading um there were definitely some some uh concerns highlighted that the future isn't looking so bright uh, as you just went through some of the some of the concerns so maybe it's worthwhile yeah breaking down those in a bit more detail just to actually you know give our take on that
1: yeah. I mean, I think from from my perspective, when I was reading through the article, I mean, there, there was obviously some really good solid facts in there. And I think it is important for superannuation to be a focus um, because as 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 we keep getting told, people are living longer uh, and, and the retirement years are likely to be a lot longer than perhaps what they were in the past. So there's no doubt that superannuation and accumulating assets for retirement has to be a focus. But I think that... I don't think we have to be too alarmed with the state of where things are right now. I think it's important to bear in mind that although we do have a fantastic superannuation system, that it's still pretty young. I mean, compulsory superannuation was only really in the early 1990s. So when we're looking at retirement balances as of today, a lot of those people probably haven't had substantial contributions going into superannuation throughout their working life. And it might just be the back end of their working years that they've been able to accumulate superannuation, comparing that to people who are entering the workforce now, a lot of those people will have at a minimum almost 10% of their salary going into superannuation, increasing up to 12% for their whole working life. Um, So so that's where I I suppose from my perspective, reading the article and and the comment being made about what the balance is now, is that really relevant to what it may be in future?
0: That's right. It's hard to make those general comments when everybody's situation is completely different yeah and you are right it is it is a young system um i mean i, I was going to make the point you hear i have heard a few reports over the years where uh you know people do the modeling and and they must look at what people earn and then how much is enough to go into super and quite often you know when it was nine percent for example they they say that nine percent isn't enough so they must look at your you know the average salary whatever it is 50 60 70 odd thousand and 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 apply you know the nine percent or 9.5 at the moment percent of uh of superannuation contributions and over the average working lifespan of whatever it is 20 to 67 odd and they say it's not enough which quite which may be the case for a lot of people um but once again as we always harp on it always comes back to the individual client their specific situation their income needs their goals and objectives what they're trying to achieve so i mean we always bring it back to that don't we but i think that's that's almost the you know the key focus with the clients that we meet with isn't it what's their situation
1: uh, yeah and i think also that making a statement as to what people will need whether it's 600 or seven hundred thousand dollars. i think we know talking to clients every day everyone's different some people might need $50,000 Fifty thousand dollars a year in retirement. Other people might need a hundred thousand dollars, and I know they have to come up with an average. But uh, it, it's also important to bear in mind that with the superannuation balances accumulated over someone's working life, if they're quite low, that's where the safety net of the age age, age pension comes in as well. And that's all that's always going to be up for debate, isn't it? I mean, who knows what that's going to be in future? Mm. But all you can really work with is, is what you what you know today, isn't it? Yeah,
0: that, that's right. I, I was, when you just said before, I was. I've had a few clients recently that have you probably get it as well that they they say to you, uh, you know, I probably spend let's say they spend fifty thousand dollars. Is that do you think that's right? Like, do you think that's what other people spend? And and I always say to them, well, it doesn't matter. You know, we've we've got a wide range of clients. Some spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Some spend not very much at all. So it just comes back to you and what you need to spend. So don't worry about what everyone else spends. Don't worry about the averages that people say that you need to accumulate in, in, in super or your retirement assets, just worry about you because um, you might have enough to, <laughs> depending on your situation, you might already have enough. So, yeah, And yeah. also,
1: I wouldn't be too concerned with what the perhaps what the investment climate is as you're approaching re- retirement because it's not as if when you, the day you retire, you, convert, you sell your assets and convert everything to cash. And I think one thing that we try to explain to our clients and the people that we speak to is that your investment time horizon in retirement is effectively the length of your life. So, you know, there there is, a, I, I, I suppose, a need to continue to invest, not in an aggressive fashion, but I think in a very balanced and measured way because when you retire, things will continue to get more expensive and one of the points that the article makes, which in some ways I, I would very much disagree with, was that talking about what the rates of return are now and that they're not insufficient to cover the the costs of managing super. Now, I I wouldn't agree with that at all. If if you have a portfolio that's diversified and it's got some cash, shares, property and so forth, if you've got all your money in cash, then yeah, that's going to be a big issue. Um, And I just don't think that sort of strategy is sustainable long-term. And I think they're the people that really have to consider their retirement um, and really consider how they're going to be able to maintain their income need in retirement, because with cash rates as they are now, yes, they might rise, um, but I, I think they're the people probably who are most at risk. But to make the assumption that returns will stay low for long, I don't think it's a great assumption to make for people who are entering retirement and may have a time horizon of thirty years, based on you know in, in, in increasing um, lifespans and so forth.
0: Yeah. So on that on that point where they made the, or the author of this article makes the comment that, that savings must, must stretch further than than ever before. Well, I think that applies to anyone, any era, because with, with medical advancements, we're all, we're all living longer. So, you know, from people that are retired now to people that retire in, in, in 20, 50 years, they're going to need, you'd argue, potentially they're going to need more money because they're going to live longer.
1: But I suppose just on that point, one of the things to bear in mind is that with medical advancement means that the days of, retiring at 65 yep. are probably not going to be there in the future. But we see it more often than not now where a lot of our clients who are approaching that you know traditional retirement age, they don't want to retire permanently. They want to slowly transition into retirement. And I think the definition of retirement is changing. So I think, yeah, the downside from a financial perspective of people living longer is that, yes, they have to stretch their savings over a longer period of time. But the upside of financial... Of, sorry medical advancement is that perhaps people can live longer and maybe not work full-time but let's just say for example you need fifty thousand dollars a year in retirement if you can work a couple of days a week and maybe earn twenty thousand then the drain or, or, or the requirement to draw on your asset base is reduced a lot so do, do you think that's a fair point that people that we're seeing generally are working longer as well
0: yeah i think that well the proofs in what the the government has has done to the retirement age, so you know it was sixty not long ago, and 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 it's effectively moving all the way up to sixty seven, and who knows where it might keep, it probably will keep going up, uh, as as people live longer. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, you might need a little bit more money, <laughs> but but you might you might work longer, so maybe you don't. Um, so I, I definitely I definitely agree with that point, and I, I definitely agree with what you just said then about if people transition into retirement um, and are earning a little bit of income in the early years of, in the early years of retirement, they may not need to actually accumulate as much and just cold turkey stop working. I think that's something that we are, we are definitely seeing. And I think the, the, uh, the whole financial independence discussion around uh, a a lot of people we meet meet with want to retire as soon as possible. That's their, you know, their number one goal to, to, when we say retire, maybe a better way to put that is to achieve financial independence. So yeah, I, think, I
1: think that's a key point, isn't it? Because yeah. in, in the traditional sense, retirement was perhaps have enough money to re, to effectively stop work, wasn't it? Whereas now people have that sort of work-life balance where retirement might just mean not necessarily being able to stop work completely, but having the choice to reduce working hours.
0: Yeah. So, so you could be in your 30s, 40s and have a goal... That, that you want to achieve financial independence by say age 50 and then what 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 we have seen with, with with some clients is that they, they might have that goal to achieve financial independence at whatever that the ages they deem call it 50 they get there they retire they stop working and they're like oh, okay I've been I've been retired for three months I've traveled around Europe uh, I'm bored and then they they're still young they're still employable they'll, they'll go back and, and earn money so yeah, there's a lot of variables, isn't there?
1: Yeah, and it may not necessarily be paid employment either. I mean, w- yeah. we see a lot of clients who are doing more voluntary work. I think, you know, years gone by where people would retire and the the average lifespan probably wasn't that great post-retirement. Now, people are retiring at 65 and the average life expectancy is probably getting out to the 90s now. So, being out of the workforce for 25, 30 years is a, is a long time. Um, and look, I, I suppose the, the key point for, from the article that um sparked my attention aside from the fact that um you know making the assumption that returns are low one of the other points was you know well well, just
0: just on that glenn before you make that point returns are low but asset values are inflated yeah and we we spoke about in our in our first podcast which if you haven't heard that we'd love you to check that out that making predictions on on the value of markets is very dangerous um i mean this author has basically said that that everything's inflated and
1: it's inflated relative to what isn't it yeah it might look inflated today but you know the the the, the old saying is the best time to buy a property was 10 years ago so you know like
0: and 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 if you're a retiree and your your time horizon could be you might still have an average life expectancy of 40 years yeah so you know i'd argue that that it's hard to say that those assets are inflated if you're going to own good quality assets for another 40 years.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's the challenge for the author of this article is I'd love to have them come back and show us any 30 or 40-year period throughout any market, whether that be shares or property, where we haven't seen an increase. Um, but but I, I suppose the other thing is that, as, as was alluding to earlier, just because you retire retired doesn't mean you're converting everything to cash. I think the key thing is to invest in assets that, yes, can grow over the longer term. But as, as we've said, even in that first podcast, was invest in assets that can generate that cash flow because that means that if you're generating enough cash flow to meet your requirements or a, or, a, or a large proportion of what your requirements are, then you're not forced to sell assets. So if there is a short-term downturn, and that is a possibility, I mean, you, you know, the, the article mentions that his opinion is that asset values are inflated. Yes, they may be, and we may see a short-term downturn. So if you're relying on drawing down on that capital, then yes, it's not the ideal time to be selling out as markets are, are falling, but that's where that cash flow becomes so important. Because even if if you own a property, as an example, yes, the asset value might come off, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the rent you're receiving is coming off. So if you can be in that position where you've got good, steady, reliable income, I think that's, that's one of the key things to consider as you're approaching retirement. Don't just look at the total return, look at, okay, how much cash flow am I getting and, and what can I rely on and then what sort of growth can I expect over a longer period of time?
0: Yeah, so the, the, the key point I look at there or take out there is that just don't be a forced seller. So accumulate enough enough wealth so when you do want to retire, you can generate enough income without being a forced seller and you mentioned the property example there and the rental income um, and, and another obviously obvious example which springs to mind is the during the GFC when, when basically... In Australia, share values fell by about fifty percent across the board. The index fell by fifty percent effectively. And dividends hardly were reduced. Like a couple of the banks might have reduced their dividends slightly, a couple of other companies cut their dividends, but for our clients that were living off that income, they they still retained pretty good a pretty good level of income. And as long as they had they weren't for sellers, they had the freedom to um, make changes to their portfolios cash or fixed income they could actually be a buyer in that market couldn't they which really help their Absolutely. future returns
1: and and that sort of is a good segue into the point around fees and we all know that, that there can be substantial fees with asset management whether it be fund managers advice fees whatever it may be but i, I it, it's important to look at the underlying value of, of the of the you know that you're receiving from the fees that you're paying um because yes there might be a fee involved to to have that service delivery um, but I think it's important to not necessarily focus on the cost but what sort of value is, is being delivered because what you do do need um, is to have that situation where you're protected against the downside because in a rising market like what we've had in the last couple of years you know anyone could make money in that sort of market effectively just investing in an index fund or whatever it may be may generate a strong return um, but it's in a down market that I think The true value of any advisor will will, will come to the surface
0: yeah if you're if you're paying high fees and not getting value for money well then you'll walk you'll walk with your feet you make the decision with your feet and you'll go somewhere else i mean we always have the discussion with our clients around value that we're very transparent with what we charge and we say if you if you don't think you're getting value for money well then you know you'll probably move elsewhere but I think as long as they can see that value and they're getting the, 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 the good returns or whatever the value they, they deem is important, I think uh, this, that won't be an issue, will it?
1: Yeah, my, my comment there would also be that when you're putting together a strategy, you know, if you're just approaching retirement or you're very close to retirement and you're engaging with an advisor and you're putting together that strategy to provide for yourself in retirement, don't just always assume that markets go up because it doesn't always happen, whether that be shares or property. As part of your strategy, you need to have that fallback position, don't you? You need to have the risk management in place. So if in the year you retire, there is a downturn, how am I protected from that? Do I have enough cash, whether it's 12 months of of income held in cash, whether it's strong, reliable cash flow to meet my requirements? I think you just don't want to be in a position where you're forced to sell assets. And that way, you don't need to worry about, oh, are asset values inflated now? Are they not? Because that's not the situation you want to be in in retirement, is it?
0: Yeah, like yeah, sequencing of returns is is often a, a term that's used in our industry where, uh, you know, if you project out, you need you need a ten percent per annum each year in investment returns, which you might get on average. But, in, for example, if you if you invest on day one of the GFC, and you have a negative ten or twenty percent total return of to your portfolio, it can really it can change the trajectory for the future. So I think it just highlights the important once again of the of the discussions we have with our clients about building enough wealth so that portfolio can generate an income stream that is sufficient to meet your retirement objective, whatever that is. So then whatever the asset values do, you're unaffected. I think we, we can't stress that point enough, can we?
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, you need to take a certain level of risk within an investment strategy. And, and the right level of risk is relative to what your requirements are. But, as we've spoken about many times, you know, in the current environment where cash rates are so low, if you want to have a superannuation asset base that can sustain what you need to do in retirement, you need to have that diversified portfolio. But even for younger people, it is important to, well, one, start early, um, but invest in a way that you think will help you accumulate sufficient assets over a long period of time.
0: Yep, yep. And I was just going to make the point as well. Just... Just look at your where your assets are, are invested and the the drawdown mechanism. So if you are entering retirement, um, just just look at the structuring of it. And um, a lot of a lot of retirement products are designed to actually sell down and sell units um, to fund to fund income needs. So if you are, you know, if the market does go into a downturn, um, the, the the product that you're in could be designed to actually sell units regardless. Which can which can hurt performance, can it? Because you you might want to be a buyer in that market, not not a seller.
1: Yeah, I think that that probably is a flaw in those you know unitized um, products, where effectively, as you were saying, the pension that's paid to you is funded via a sell down of units. Now that works well when markets are going up, but it can wor- it can work in a really bad way if markets are going down, because effectively you're, you're required you're forced to sell more units in that investment because the asset values are depressed. Um, but, I mean, for those people who have worked through their lives, put as much money into superannuation as possible, what, what, what do you think their options are, you know, as far as how can they extract as much as they can from what they've accumulated in order to at least provide a comfortable lifestyle in retirement?
0: I think once I think once the client or the individual has had a discussion in terms of how much they think they need, they in retirement and when they want to retire they need to they need to basically put that plan in place so they need to have as we we've spoken about in a, a couple of previous podcasts they they well the budgeting one our, our second podcast they need to have a, a plan to get where they need to get to um going back to the point i made earlier on in this podcast about uh you may not accumulate enough from your nine and a half percent employer contributions you just might not get there based on the salary that you're earning and your income needs in retirement so that's where the the value in working with an advisor is to to come up with a plan of how you're going to get there. I mean, that could be how you get there could depend on a lot of things. I mean, you might, for example, you might be you might be asset asset rich and you might have a, a I don't know an expensive principal place of residence and and part of your plan in that example might be might be to downsize and unlock some equity. Um, but it, it really does de- depend on the specifics of the, the 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 individual, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that it, for most people. Aside from superannuation, you know, their largest asset on the back of, you know, substantial increases in property values is their home. Um, and I think it's always a very emotional thing, um, and a very sensitive topic to be talking about. But it it, it can be a little bit silly, can't it, to have a substantial level of money tied away in an asset that isn't generating any income and you and you you're potentially living a very low standard of living and you could have Quite a substantial amount of money in that property, so I think it's something that at some point in future, um, for whether it's the baby boomer generation or, or the or the next generation after that, getting into retirement, that maybe the, the downsizing of property is something that has to be given further consideration.
0: Hundred percent, because we all know with with property values in in Melbourne where we are. Th- that's a huge asset for for most people. It's the most substantial asset. Uh, so potentially unlocking that, unlocking some of that equity can h- help. Yeah, as you said, help help the clients. Um, you know, meet their meet their income needs in retirement. And another another thing that we, that we it sometimes com- sometimes comes up in our discussions with with clients around retirement is inheritances. So, uh, look, sometimes this is an uncomfortable thing to to talk about because you don't want to necessarily. Um, think about the demise of uh, someone else like parents or whatever it might be but look quite often there is that transfer of wealth from one generation to to the next Um, so I mean we often do have clients that do land big inheritances so uh, it's almost something that you you, you don't want to rely on but you you do need to consider it in the in the financial plan don't you
1: yeah I think there's no doubt about that and also with regards to the options of extracting that value out of real estate I suppose the two main ones Downsizing, so whether that that could be buying a smaller property, it could also be relocating. Um, we we spoke about housing affordability in in our first podcast, and you know, but it, it's all about compromise. That's what I, as I was saying. I mean, it is a very emotional thing, and some people, you know, that that's their absolute last option is to downsize their home. The other thing that we do not very often, but I, I think that perhaps more older people could consider, it, which is which is another area that that's that it can be quite complex and and a, and a little bit um, on, on the risky side if you enter into it too early is a reverse mortgage now I know there has been some reporting about that that hasn't been too positive and it's probably not the best outcome for you to have but if you're later in life um, and you need a level of funds to provide whatever service that may maybe, maybe that's where the, the reverse mortgage is an option what, what do you think about that
0: I think a reverse mortgage can work as long as you very clearly understand how it works, um, and you know the reverse the reverse compounding effect in, in terms of it can really blow out the the loan.
1: Yeah, and that's when you just don't want to start too early. I mean, I think if you're in your 70s, even 80s, unless you've got some medical condition where you, where you think you know your lifespan's not going to be that great, I think it, you don't want to start that too early.
0: Yeah, I mean exactly. And in, in some cases, I think I think I've had a couple of clients that have that have engaged a, a reverse mortgage. They they can work. I think my my key message there is just understand it, understand how it works, under do a couple of projections where you can actually see if you live for ten years at the interest rate you're paying and what you're drawing out, what what that loan balance could be, and uh, you know you, you know what your house is worth, you know what the loan balance might get to. Just just understand it, and if you think it's appropriate for you based on that, then then go ahead with it.
1: And do, do you think superannuation is the only solution? I mean, we, we, as far as r- retirement planning, we, we have spent a lot of today sort of focusing on superannuation as that structure. Um, is is that the only thing that perhaps people should be focusing on as far as retirement planning? I oh, look, I wouldn't definitely
0: not the only thing they should be focusing on, but just just superannuation. We, you know, the re- the reason that, that we really like. It is a structure for our clients to accumulate their wealth is the, the tax concessions. We all know that it is taxed uh, very concessionally. So uh, it's definitely a big part of of retirement assets, but only so much, we, we, we know only so much can go in. Um, so I think it is it is only part of the puzzle. I mean, we've spoken about superannuation, we've spoken about maybe the family home, and I think depending on how much the individual might or the couple may need to, to live off uh, it's very likely that they may have another another portfolio to accumulate other assets, whether it's a in their personal names or a family trust. I think it's part of the puzzle. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think that obviously the major attraction of using superannuation as that retirement accumulation vehicle is that the maximum tax you'll pay is fifteen percent, and there's the pen- potential to have no tax on the earnings when you retire. So that, that's a, that's a pretty big attraction. But the downside for a lot of younger people that, that I know you speak to and I, and I definitely do as far as their reluctance to focus on superannuation because the government has obviously changed the rules so much in more recent years. It just doesn't give a lot of people confidence. So I think perhaps one of the things that we haven't touched on as far as trying to encourage people to focus on retirement planning is perhaps for the government not to play around so much with the, with the rules surrounding superannuation because for a lot of young people... If, you, if you're 35 years of age, the, you know it's 25 years before you'll be able to get your hands on that money. So that that's one downside. The other one is that you, you're, you're sort of investing in a structure where the where the goalposts can be moving. So I think there has to be a lot more confidence in that structure, and so that people do and can rely on it, and and they perhaps will focus on it more. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, we we have we have a lot of clients that have uh, have lost confidence in superannuation. I know I've had a few that have raise their concerns with me about you know putting too much money in in, in that structure because it has been changed so much over the last couple of years the uh the 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 not last budget the one before there's obviously that whole raft of changes and um i I think people do become uneasy so hopefully you know governments can can put that confidence back into australians is that there's not going to be a lot more a lot more changing of it because it is a very important part of our, our Everyone's, uh, you know, retirement, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think there should definitely be a longer-term focus. One of the changes that came in from one July um, this year was the reduction in the amount of um, tax concessional contributions from thirty or thirty-five or thirty thousand dollars down to twenty-five. Now, as, as we know, for a lot of younger people, in particular in the current climate, they've got large mortgages. Quite often, they're not able to make substantial contributions into superannuation until later in life and the attraction in years gone by was that the the upper sort of threshold for contribution to super was between 50 and 100,000 so it provided the opportunity for people to play catch up and I know that not everyone has the capacity to contribute that substantial level into superannuation but I think that the planning around retirement has to be a longer term one um, but yeah I mean I don't blame younger people from you know, not focusing on superannuation. The other downside of super is that you can't access it until you at least turn 60. So I think as part of your overall planning, there's a lot of lifestyle planning as well. I mean, if your objective is to retire before 60, there's no point putting all your money in superannuation. It's not going to be a great help, is it?
0: Hmm. That's right. And um, a question I get asked, I'm going to ask you because I get asked this a lot. So I think our listeners might benefit from hearing how we answer it. But clients often say to me is, why the government restricting how much I can put in superannuation when they want me to build enough wealth to support myself, so I don't have to rely on rely on the government age pension? I get I have been asked that quite a few times. How, how do you answer that?
1: I, I think it's a difficult one to answer, and without asking the government, but I think the unfortunate thing is, without playing politics, is that I think both sides of of, of government they're just so sh- short sighted. I mean, because they're obviously looking at we always hear balancing the budget, balancing the budget. So they're looking at ways to um, raise revenue. Uh, and, and the one, what they, one way they can do that is by reducing tax concessions on superannuation. So that strategy is a short-term one where they're obviously reducing the tax benefit, which raises revenue for them. Um, but that short-term benefit is definitely a longer-term cost. So unfortunately, I think governments are just having that short-sighted view because you're right, I mean, the, the, we keep getting told that in future there just won't be sufficient tax revenue to sustain the age pension entitlements that we have now. So my question to the government, or my comment to the government would be take a longer term view and provide the ability for people to um, self fund their retirement. If, if, the, if that's what you want uh, and then provide the means to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, you're right. Cause I mean, that's how, it's pretty much how I'd answer it as well. That It's a, it's a short term, a lot of these decisions around superannuation are, are short term to balance the books and, get us out of that uh, that deficit but then yeah you're right long longer term they want the, the government ideal any government would would hopefully have their citizens citizens being self-funding and not not needing government support and in a lot of western western um c- countries like australia and the u.s where our aging we do have aging populations so when people do stop working obviously tax receipts to the government are going to going to come down significantly, significantly, aren't they? So yeah. it's a real, it's a real balancing item for the for no the doubt. government.
1: It's, it's a ve- there's no doubt it's a very, very sensitive issue. Um, look, just to, just to wrap things up, to, just to go through um, some of the key points that we've spoken about today. From from my perspective, um, I, I think it's always about not necessarily focusing on what's happening in investment markets today, whether that be concerns with potential inflated asset values. Obviously, that's a concern at the moment. Uh, my my comment on that would be, think long-term, it sounds pretty boring, and it's probably a fairly repetitive thing that Nathan and I will continue to say, but focus on the long-term. Yes, asset values may seem inflated today, um, but if you look out over over the term of your retirement over 30 years, we'd be pretty confident, if not certain, to say that asset values in 30 years' time will be more than what they are now. Um, Secondly, interest rates, while low at the moment, will rise in future. And that with the investment of your retirement asset base, the important thing is diversification. You don't want to be in a situation where you're investing all your money in a low interest-bearing account that that one, isn't providing enough income to meet your needs, but secondly, isn't providing that growth to offset inflation. So diversification is very important. Cash flow is obviously a key. Um, So I, I suppose our advice is don't lose too much confidence in superannuation. Invest longer term. And, and, and speak to an advisor to really get those plans started early.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we we're once again brought to you by Hewison Private Wealth. Uh, to find out more about Hewison Private Wealth, please look at their website, which is www.hewison.com.au or you can find out further information regarding Hewison Private Wealth via social media on either LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook by searching Hewison Private Wealth. Um, If you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you uh, rated our podcast and leave feedback and also uh, to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you once again. We look forward to having you next time.